hammering Jake to Snake Roberts on the side of the head. And if we heard correctly, I, I don't... Jimmy Hart still holding the official now. Oh, man. It's going to squash this thing. Don't watch this, folks. Please don't watch it. No. He's going to go. Come on, he's out. From Television City in Hollywood. All right, you guys, you know this is for fun, so take it easy and give them a good show. Now stay tuned for professional wrestling live from the Springfield Crapolarium. Tonight, a Texas death match. Dr. Hillbilly versus the Iron Yuffie. One man will actually be unmasked and killed in the ring. I hope they kill that Iron Yuppie. Thinks he's so big. Discretionary viewer participation is advised for the following professional wrestling exhibition. Due to the coronavirus pandemic, Greetings from Allentown is not taped in front of a live studio audience. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 191 of Greetings from Allentown. I am your host, Peter Winston. And today, well, I decided to get a little cute, because it's episode 191. I decided to go to 1991, to the World Wrestling Federation, as I am wont to do on many, many, many occasions. I used to keep track of this sort of stuff, but after about episode 102, I stopped marking off the sheet of like, okay, I did a show from this month and this year and this promotion. But 1991 WWF, I don't need to be dragged, taking and screaming. But this one, the April 27th, 1991 edition of Superstars, this one has some synergy to it, baby, because I'm on the Place to Be podcast this week, this past Monday. You can check it out on the Place to Be Nation wrestling feed covering the Saturday Night's main event from this very day in 1991. Now you say, well, didn't you already do that for Greetings Valentine? Yeah, I did. Back episode 129. It was over a year ago now. But, you know, I'm going to say different stuff on that show because I'm just, hopefully I don't just say all the same stuff. I took a whole separate set of notes. And anyway, th- this show is completely different from that. And of course, there is a hook to it. A big angle that everybody remembers coming out of the match between, well, match in quotation marks between Earthquake and Jake the Snake Roberts that had been building for a couple of weeks leading up to this. But first, let me get in my plugs. You can email the show, greetingsfromallentown at gmail.com, facebook.com slash blah, 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 and on Twitter at gfallentownpod. That is at gfallentownpod on that wonderful cesspool known as Twitter. I'm sure that on the week of a U.S. presidential election, you know, nothing untoward is going on there or 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 on Facebook for that matter. But you're not going to get any election talk from me, not for not for any particular political reason, but because I plan to have this wrapped by Tuesday night because I I like to get this show finished by Tuesday so that I'm not rushing. This actually goes back to when I would commute to and from work. And I would hate having to like rush home on Wednesday because usually I go to my mother's and do the trash more on crazy crap uh, a little bit later from that household. But yeah, I just like to get it all wrapped up. I I would be remiss if I did not mention the GFA Live this past weekend, the best of the WWF volume 16 that I did with Keithy, 
my good pal. And I gotta, I gotta tell you, volume 16 was the weird, one of the, had to have been one of the weirdest Coliseum videos that they ever released because there's not a single match in the United States. This is a jumping bomb angels match from all Japan women's promotion. Tatsumi Fujinami is on there. I mean, it's just a very strange tape and it's also hosted by Mean Gene Oakland, which is not a surprise. But also Frenchie Martin and Outback Jack. I, I I kid you not on that. It was it was quite a spectacle to sit through, especially the ten minutes of Outback Jack vignettes. But I I will say that your listening experience on that podcast will be well worth it when you get to the end where Keithy and I break down in insane detail that scene from Karate Kid Two. Where Daniel has to go into the illegal, where he goes into the illegal betting parlor and he has to break six pieces of ice with his hands. Yeah. I, I thought it was only going to be 15 minutes, but we ended up going about 22, 23 minutes on that. And it's one of the proudest podcasting moments I've ever had. Like I've been doing this now for over three and a half years and being able to discuss that particular scene from Karate Kid part two, which by the way, you might say, like, all right, enough with the Karate Kid 2. Hey, Karate Kid 2 did more at the box office than Karate Kid 1, which makes it a much better candidate for the, I don't know, Dave Meltzer's Movie Observer Hall of Fame, I guess, because Sting didn't draw money because he's, he, so he's not a Hall of Famer. Well, he also didn't murder, uh, two, two family members either, but. I guess that doesn't, you know, necessarily mean that you get in. It just means that we're not necessarily going to kick you out. But I don't want to talk about that unpleasantness or anything. Now, I've been discussing this for uh, uh, several weeks now. This is the eighth straight Sunday that I have gone down to my mother's house for where I brought probably about three or four meals that my wife and I had prepared for her. And when I get to the house, she's got on her coat. She's like... Yeah, you're going to give me a ride down to City Hall. They're giving away chicken pot pies to all the senior citizens. I'm like, oh, okay, sure. I mean, you know, you're not going to turn it down. A good chicken pot pie this time of year in New England is really good. But it kind of delayed what I needed to do in the house. And I didn't get to spend as much time in the house. In fact, I had to go to the freaking garage, which I can't even begin to tell you the nightmare that is my mother's garage although actually my my top three for this week before i before i hit the music all found in different places on the property it's crazy crap i found in my mother's house kind of joke that I didn't do a regular Greetings Valentine last week because I couldn't find anything insane enough for this particular segment. Of course, I, I really just really just needed a break from the whole thing. But uh, as I said, I was kind of all over the place in the house. I had to go up to the attic, grab something, and I had to go to the basement, grab another thing. And then I spent most of the time in the garage. And I'm actually going to start with the <laughs> basement in the, it, the unfinished part of the basement, which, you know, the, the finished part is actually kind of fallen into a little bit of disrepair. But when I go into, like, where the hot water heater is and all that, there's a pile of board games back there. Uh, some, some of the board games are really, really old to the point where you would have never heard of them. But the one, the one that was on top there, and it, it always draws my eye. 
The Sale of the Century board game. Now, you may not remember. It was it was a game show that aired... I want to say it aired on in, in the mornings. I, I, I don't remember. But the host was Jim Perry. And I remember just getting him constantly confused with the dad from Family Ties. Not Family Ties. Silver Spoons. God, the fact that I just conflated those two shows with... Silver Spoons is just a total piece of shit. Sorry, everybody. You know, I watched it several years ago, and that show just does not hold up. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm glad that Alfonso Ribeiro had Fresh Prince of Bel-Air to fall back on, because if we remembered him for Silver Spoons, well, we probably wouldn't remember him. It would probably be just me here. So anyway, <laughs> the Sale of the Century board game, what I should do is I should bust that out and see if all the parts actually work. Now, for number two... Yeah, you know what? No, for number two, I'm going up to the attic. And I, I kind of saw this lying around, but I didn't really look at it in past weeks. And it's it's not just the Atari 2600 system that is still intact from, what, 1983 or 84 or 85 or whenever the hell I had it. So, like, all the games are there, too. So, like, if I could figure out how to hook it up to my TV here, could I play Pitfall 2? Would I be able now to figure out how to beat that game? Because I'm not sure if I ever did. Also, I don't think I ever played Pitfall 1. It seems to be one of those things I just never came across. Of course, maybe it was a victim of the video game crash of 1983 or whatever that was. I'm kind of—I have no idea what to do. I'm not going to throw out an Atari 2600, but I also don't think I can hook it up to anything that I have. So this is truly the definition of a catch-22. And number one, going out to the garage where I have to be very careful about what I throw away. Because the last time we cleaned out my mother's garage, we had a dumpster in the driveway. This was about 13 or 14 years ago. And my mother was seen picking stuff out of the dumpster and putting it back in the garage. Which is kind of upsetting because it, you know, defeats the purpose of cleaning. And I stated that I, I will not accept seeing her do that going forward. But as I was poking around, I, I saw like a gas tank. I didn't pick it up to see if there was any actual gas in there. I saw a propane tank. And I thought, oh, great. I'll bring this back and I'll I'll use this. I'll swap it out or, or something. Maybe it's expired. Maybe it's not. It was actually a full propane tank. Or more or less, just kind of judging by the weight. And I thought to myself, okay... Well, I should see what the date on it is, what the expiration date on the t tank is, because all of them have it. And you know, if you bring an expired tank to where I get my propane bill, they they technically won't fill it. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Anyway, it said 2004 on there. So here's a propane tank that expired 16 years ago. That's just been kind of been sitting there in the back of the garage. Now, I don't know if that would actually work. I don't know exactly what I should do with it, but I feel like the propane inside, it's not rusted or anything. It's actually in remarkably good shape. I'm just scratching my head. Who has a propane tank that's full, but is also over 16 years old? But that's just, you know... And this isn't even like the craziest thing that I, that I have found cleaning the property at this point. So, I don't know. But that was the craziest thing that I found in my mother's house this week. All the way back in the 12th episode of this podcast, I covered the superstars from April the 13th, so two weeks before this. is actually the same taping location 
This would be the last show taped for that. An earthquake taking on Jake the Snake Roberts was actually not set up on this taping. It was done at the one previous back in March, and it aired on April 6th, where they did that deal again that I always kind of enjoy because it always comes off as kind of awkward where one guy is coming to the ring as the other guy is walking to the back. Where it's like, hmm, somebody didn't space this out properly. It led to the Iron Sheik and Sergeant Slaughter in 1984, and also to this and other angles in between. I know that there was like a mini thing with Kamala and Bundy in late 86. So that's the match. And Jake's snake usage was kind of going into over, over, it was overdone, I think, to a certain point. When you break down the various feuds that he had, it's like, okay, so you scared Andre. And what did you get out of that? Andre just beats the shit out of you for about five straight months on house shows, including at WrestleMania. Hell, think back to 1987 when he has the Honky Tonk Man on the snake pit and he's harassing Honky with the snake, who, which then leads Honky to sneak up the other side and blast him with the guitar and cause all sorts of ill health problems for Jake down the road. I, I don't know how much of that I can necessarily address, but yeah, maybe Jake should have put the snake away every <laughs> put that thing away. But yeah, in in this case, obviously, given what's going to happen, he he, he kind of went it, it was a bridge too far. But also on this program we have, let's see here. Oh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Gee, what a surprise. What is, what's Winston going to say about Hacksaw Jim Duggan this time? It's only the 85th match that Duggan's had on this program. I mean, how many more freaking things can say, ooh, Duggan has new knee pads for this one. I was like, what the hell? You know, but Mr. Perfect is on the program. Always good to have the Intercontinental Champion. In the dying days of Bobby Heenan's managerial tenure, before he retired to become a broadcast journalist, only brought out of retirement briefly later in the year to be the manager, the financial advisor to Ric Flair and accompanying him to ringside a couple of times. To get back to what was going to be my original point here about this taping, this was done two nights after WrestleMania 7 in Las Vegas. So I think what they did is they had that party for primetime wrestling that aired on the Tuesday which I'm assuming that they taped in Vegas at Caesars Palace because Heenan refers to it on the WrestleMania 7 broadcast, especially during the main event. And they they go to Vegas. They were at the Thomas and Mack Center. More on that in a little bit. And the dark main event on this taping was, ta- it was taped for Coliseum Video's World Tour 91. Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior against Sergeant Slaughter, General Adnan, and The Undertaker, who apparently was not very much of an American badass back then because, you know, teaming up with the bad Iraqi dudes and whatever. I actually had three different versions of this video to choose from, which which is a nice problem to have. But I like to go with the ones on YouTube. The problem is there are two different versions on YouTube. One of them has all the commercials. The problem is the video quality was some of the worst I've ever seen. Like, I've seen Memphis stuff from 1978 that has better video quality than that. And then there's another one that doesn't have commercials. It's got better video quality. But there's one very important thing that gets cut out. And I don't want it to, I don't want that cut out of the program. It's actually the update segment with me and Gene Oakland talking about Andre the Giants. Well, I guess 
people are coming up to him and they want they want to be his manager. And uh, sensational Sherry gives it a go, and they cut out, it cuts out Gene's reaction to it. But I'll get to that in due time. So I went with the third version that I have, which is decent video quality, has commercials, and commercials that I can actually talk about too, which is really nice. So without any further ado, why don't I get to it? It's WWE Superstars for April 27th, 1991. kind of got my hopes up because this show being a Saturday in April of 1991, I figure, oh, well, there's probably a Saved by the Bell episode that aired that day. Well, that show was actually on hiatus from December of 90 all the way to September of 91. Like, hmm, didn't they do like a lot of episodes? I would have figured they would have done the usual season, you know, something like September to May. But season three of Saved by the Bell starts September 14th, 1991, it concludes December 21st, 1991. I guess if you're going to get them all in in that short a period, it's got to be like Fredo from The Godfather. You're going to be doing them two at a time. <laughs> but seriously, as you heard at the top of the show, I played the theme that was used for the superstars. And yeah, they were doing this Stars and Stripes Forever thing where we only see Hulk Hogan. He's the only consequential person in the promotion. We We can't put anybody else in the signature at the top of the show. Not even CM Punk. When they play Stars and Stripes Forever, and pardon me if I made this joke in episode 12, but it bears repeating. And I mean literally bears repeating, because when I hear that song, all I ever think of is the Berenstein Bears. We are the Berenstein Bears. Mama. Papa. Sister. Brother. We appreciate each other. We live in a split-level tree. Mama, Papa, Sister, and me. I love the Berenstein Bears when I was a kid, and not just because I consider them America's greatest Jewish bear family, it's also because there's a lot of crossover, I think, between them and WWF, WWE, because everybody in the Berenstein Bears universe has some sort of gimmick. Like, oh, I'm the mayor. I'm blah, blah, blah. Like, I'm Brother Bear. Like, they don't have names. They just, they're just kind of, whatever their character is, that's their name. It's like Vince McMahon is running the Berenstein Bears. I, I, don't, I don't quite understand it. No, it's, we all know that it's Stan and Jan Berenstein. So anyway, we, I lived in Las Vegas, the home of the Thomas and Mack Center, in 2003 and 2004, and I decided to take a peek. As to, uh, cause I, ne- I never went to that arena. It's where UNLV played their home games. But by, by then, you know, the basketball team, you know, w- was not what they were in the glory days of the early nineties. Apparently WWE ran two televised shows in the time, to- in the very limited time that I lived out there. The November 28th, 03 Raw, which featured a main event of Goldberg over Kane via DQ, I think it was. And then finally, they did a SmackDown in what I think was the last week that I lived there, May 18th, 2004, that had a, a interesting main event of JBL and the Dudleys over Eddie Guerrero, Rob Van Dam, and I don't even know what the hell, what did I write here? Oh, Ray Mysterio Jr. Uh, I, the way that I wrote Ray, it looks like I wrote P, 
I, I, I don't know. But apparently, Eddie ate the pin in that one despite being the champion. Oh, JBL has pinned the world champion. Well, of course, that would lead to some dark places. Now, our hosts for superstars are Vince McMahon, Rowdy Roddy Piper, and the macho man, Randy Savage. And Macho, he's still staking out that heel ground where he's he's picking Earthquake against Jake. And gentlemen, we got a real winner this week. Jake the Snake Roberts squaring off against the Earthquake. And odds are it's going to be a great one. Odds are it's going to be Jake the Snake Roberts who's drawn the losing hand. He's playing against the Earthquake, and the Earthquake has just called his bluff. And now Jake the Snake Roberts is going to get clubbed in spades. Oh, yeah. Oh, pretty. Dicey ah. remarks there, Macho Man. You're a regular card. But you see, Jake has something up his sleeve that ought to rattle the earthquake. Kind of up the ante, if you know what I mean. But no, you don't know what I mean. I mean, you haven't got the vaguest idea. <laughs> All right, take it easy on the puns there. Because Saturday Night's main event airing that night, of course, NBC, very fond of having everything in those opening promos be a pun on something or a play on words, whatever you have it. So this is the most pun-heavy day in the history of the World Wrestling Federation, April 27th, 1991. You might want to write that one down. So we start out with the big boss man taking on Pistol Pez Watley. Greetings from Allentown legend. But we kick it off. As Vince has a question for the Macho Man. Macho Man, have you ever been down to Cobb County, Georgia? Boy, haven't you'll never catch me there, guaranteed, because the big boss man rules there. I'm just wondering what he's going to do in the square circle when he gets against the field. Yeah, that's a good question. Well, in answer to that question, I happen to know from reputation that the boss man, once he gets somebody cuffed that he really don't like, can do a pretty fair number on him himself, monkey. Well, we're talking about interrogation. Is that what you mean here? You know, sometimes I've been hard on Jim Johnston for his songwriting and his recycling, but the big boss man stuff, really, really good song. I'm just like, I'm looking at the lyrics right now, and yeah, it does re- does repeat itself after a while, but it drives home the point. If you ever take a trip, I- I'm just going to read it in like a William Shatner sort of voice. If you ever take a trip down to Cobb County, Georgia, you better read the signs, respect the law and order. You'll serve hard times. You'll be serving hard times. You know, the big boss man will make you walk the line. You better watch out, boy, or you'll be serving hard time. Well, I don't like that boy stuff, and it's got connotations to it. He carries a big stick, a ball, and chain, too. If you're looking for trouble, he'll be coming after you. And then, and then repeat the refrain. Anyway, Pezavan Watley, the, the opponent here, I'm very excited. He gets in some shots in the corner, but a corner whip by Pez is reversed. And he does the Bret Hart bump, where he goes face first into the turnbuckle. Now, the boss man, you could hear it alluded to in the sound clip that I just played. He's moved along from the Heenan family because he kind of, he kind of reached the big boss. So to coin a phrase, I didn't mean for that to be a pun. It, it's because I listened to that whole intro there and now all I could do is make puns. So he failed to win the Intercontinental title for Mr. Perfect. That, that's fine because now he's moving on to the Mountie. I'm the Mountie. Law enforcement. And the boss man 
I'm gonna show you how I treat local cops. And the Mountie always gets his man! You think about this feud and what the guys are saying, and it does seem a little bit silly, but really at its heart, it's just a simple jurisdictional dispute between the Mountie, who claims to represent some form of international law enforcement, I don't know if there's some sort of arm in the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, and the boss man, who is a quote-unquote local hick cop, but local nonetheless. It's not like the boss man can, like, roll into Tulsa, Oklahoma and arrest somebody. Like, uh, that that's outside of his jurisdiction. Mountie is claiming jurisdiction that probably isn't there. And this stuff... Now, I'm, I'm no, you know, law enforcement expert, but what I do know is that there's a lot of headbutting between police departments and so on, a jurisdictional dispute. You see it all the time with state governments and the federal government, the FBI. The FBI sometimes isn't so willing to share information between jurisdictions. It's very common, but I, doing it between a Canadian Mountie and a guy, a, a county police officer, prison guard in Georgia, it, it does, does seem a little strange when you break it down. Now, Pez, he's getting in some offense, probably because they knew I was going to cover this on a podcast 25, 29 years later. And uh, I, I got I to gotta have my Pez, okay? I got I got to have my candy. I mean, it's very fitting with Halloween having just passed. Although, who the hell gives out Pez? Uh, I don't think anybody does. Of course, nobody was giving out anything. Three kids at the house, and they all came at the same time. And anyway, it was not enough. The the boss man slam finishes this thing in short order. Now, I'm very interested. When boss man finishes the guy off, what exactly is he going to do? He, You know he's going to cuff him to the rope. But is he going to beat up Pez Watley for, for no other reason than just because he lost a wrestling match? But as it turns out, no. The boss man does not beat him with the nightstick. There's no ball and chain or anything, which kind of makes the song inaccurate but yeah i guess it's important to differentiate his style of law enforcement from the mountie who just goes ahead and you know tases everybody recently our cameras were on hand when sensational sherry met with the seven foot four inch 520 pound giant this should be interesting this whole thing for the first half of 1991 with managers chasing after Andre the Giant because he's supposedly coming back really confused me as a kid because, okay, rewind to WrestleMania 6. You got Andre and Haku defending the tag titles against Demolition. Everything that happens, he slaps Heenan around. Of course, he misses him once, but that that's fine. That's okay. But then he disappears for a very long period of time, and then all of a sudden he's back. He's announced for the Royal Rumble he can't go because he's hurt, and basically he's just unable to wrestle. I mean, any anybody could look at him and be like, all right, we, we cannot put him in a ring. I guess in Japan he must have had some sort of value because he's teaming with Giant Baba there. But let, let's, let's keep it in the States here. What I did not know at the time, because I was not watching Herb Abrams' UWF, fall of 1990, Herb Abrams reaches out to Andre the Giant and brings him in. Captain Lou Albano, another longtime WWF guy, is in the ring. He brings Andre in. He says, you know, he's he's here in the UWF. And then there was a Captain Lou interview segment where which wasn't in the ring. It was just like in this interview area in front of a green screen or whatever. 
and Andre is joining him for that. And those are the only two times, I think, that you see him in the UWF. Why? Because Vince McMahon saw this and was like, I am not letting anybody else make money off Andre the Giant, even though if I bring him in, I can't use him in the ring because he is rapidly breaking down. Now, yeah, he he did have one match, which I'll get into a little bit later because it involves a couple of guys who are in a match that closes the show. So what, but what confused me is he slapped around Heenan at WrestleMania 6. That's the last memory we have of him. And all of a sudden, Heenan just figures, all right, well, Andre's going to be back in the fold here. And it was weeks before this on Primetime Wrestling where Andre had pushed Heenan down with stomping some grapes to make wine, some sort of weird demonstration thing. Crushed Heenan's hand on an episode of Challenge. I think I covered that one. The post-WrestleMania 7 edition of Wrestling Challenge, which was also the debut of Jim the Anvil Nightheart. And then we had other ones as well. Mr. Fuji was later spurned after Sensational Sherry takes her turn going after Andre. Now, Sherry, great manager, love her to death. But I don't know if she's got a lot of stuff in the playbook because... It seems that between this and asking the Ultimate Warrior for a title shot at the Royal Rumble, where she basically got down on her knees in front of his crotch, and I think we all saw where that was going next, she follows it up with a very similar play with Andre, who is hanging out in what appears to be the rattiest hotel lounge that you've ever seen, some sort of ballroom dressed up to be a bar, where Arnold Skoland and you could see Pat Patterson in the background as well. Well, maybe you're on the one as well. Andre! Andre! Oh, I can't. I'm so glad to see you. My God, you're stupid. I thought you would be. What a man! What a. Oh, God, I can't believe Andre, I want to be your manager. No, no, please, 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 anything, anything, I promise, anything, anything, Andre, anything, anything, Andre, come on, just a little bit. I just got an advisory for Sherry. Let's, let's be careful out there, okay? You're offering anything he wants. So, Andre, you know, being a guy with gigantism, I'm going to assume that his genitals are also of an outsized nature. And if he's like, if he announces to Sherry that he's into butt stuff, well, then she's in a world of trouble. Unless a court, well, you know, she could have been prepped for it and whatever, but uh, who really knows? But as it turns out, Andre, (laughs) who, by the way, makes this face during this, like, anything I want. And uh, I may use that as the screenshot for this show, (laughs) because... Although I probably got to use something with Earthquake and Jake because, you know, that's kind of the whole premise of this thing. So what he does is, in case you've forgotten, because this is a audio podcast and it probably doesn't come through as good. He makes the face. He bends her over the bar. So there's step one. Spits in his hand, which step two, I mean, maybe not the best lube. But instead, he just spanks her. <laughs> Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> 
You big long. Anything I want, right? <laughs> My sensational Sherry being told no for the second time. In 1991. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say the sensational Sherry may have been into a rough trade, if you know what I'm talking about. But it was a hell of a gambit by her. I hope I'm using the word gambit correctly. Eh, I don't give a crap. It was a hell of a gambit because she's trying to reunite the Mega Bucks. They teamed together in the Atlantic City Steel Pier in 79. They had the big angle in 88 in the WWF. 1991, it's time again. It was time to bring Andre and DiBiase back together because Sherry... Had the million dollar man in the fold. So I figured, well, uh, uh, that, that should have been the start of her pitch. DiBiase's money. Come on. D- Andre must have some positive memories about being with DiBiase. They, they had an amicable split. I think there was, there was no falling out between them. So we go back. We get one of the all time greatest. I mean, this could also be a screenshot of Mean Gene. And I tweeted this out weeks ago where the little picture in the corner says, has Andre with Sherry bent over and slapping her ass, and Mean Gene has just got kind of one finger over his lips. I'm like, hmm. Also realizing that Sherry might be into the rough trade. But, wow. I mean, <laughs> this this was truly unbelievable. I mean, sure, uh, Andre was never going to be able to get into the rank, but, uh, you know, I guess keep him away from Herb Abrams is the main goal, but also give us these wildly entertaining, in quotation marks, segments. We go to the ad break with the original commercials, and we see one for preferred stock cologne, Game Boy, the F1 race game that you could play with, like, four different people with, like, some sort of hookup. I was interested in this Lady Stetson ad to see if it kind of carries the mantle or whatever of the old Stetson ads where the dude would roll up in the Jeep and pick up the woman and, you know, go have his way with her eventually. A declaration of independence. Wear it. So I'm guessing that the woman broke up with the Stetson guy from the commercial in the 80s and is now on her own. So that's kind of the whole premise they're going for. There was a wrestling hotline thing, but there was nothing interesting to really play in it. But this was taped off of Fox 5 in New York. And back in those days, Fox carried a lot of the WWF syndicated programs around the country. I know Fox 25 in Boston had it in my area. But back in those days, Fox didn't have a complete primetime lineup. And often on those other days, they would have movies, actual good movies. I could see CBS has been bringing back, like, the Sunday night movie. I think a Ferris Bueller was on a couple of weeks ago on network TV. It's really strange. But here... A movie that was only, I think, two or three years old at the time. So seeing it on network TV would be kind of a big deal. The original Die Hard. 40 stories. 12 terrorists. One cop. It's going to be a long night. Do you really think you have a chance against us, Mr. Cowboy? You think I... Whoever you are, this channel is reserved for emergency calls only. Do I sound like I'm ordering a pizza? Bruce Willis stars. Welcome to the party, pal. Die Hard, Monday at 8 on Fox 5. It's a shame. I was really hoping they were going to play my favorite line from the first Die Hard by far. Hans, Bobby, I'm your white knight. 
Not looking to be a spoiler on this 32-year-old movie. I mean, you probably should have seen it by now. But Ellis, the guy who's talking to Hans, he meets his demise shortly thereafter. So, kind of like Larry Ludden, who is up next against The Undertaker. And (laughs) I've actually covered not this match before, but The Undertaker versus Larry Ludden is on the January 12th, 1992 edition of Wrestling Challenge. Now, why the hell would I remember that? I I have absolutely no idea. But Greetings from Allentown is the only podcast that has covered both Undertaker versus Larry Ludden matches. I mean, I guess that's something going for me as they talk about the Undertaker's intimidation factor. You know, I mean, he locked a man in a casket for three minutes and 46 seconds. I mean, what else is there to it? It's towards the ultimate warrior, of course. As we get... Vince is extremely somber in term, in like, just like in his tone of voice. It's not something you hear often from him. Well, we had an occasion to speak with uh, Paul Bear and The Undertaker before the matchup this week. As far as uh, their comments as it relates to The Ultimate Warrior, here's what they had to say. The Ultimate Warrior. Remember when my Undertaker dropped you in the casket? Remember the sound of the lid slamming shut? Remember tearing out the lining on the inside, gasping for air <laughs> that wasn't there? Boyer, are you sure you want some more of me? Mm, I'm not so sure he does. We are less than two weeks away from I'm sorry, I had to leave that in because the jarring contrast from Vince being all somber to the regular old Howard Finkel, come on out to the National Coliseum. I'm going to tell you what's happening, but we get more on that on the event centers coming up. Taker's offense is kind of the usual fare. It's it's the greatest hits album at this point. You get the flying clothesline off an Irish whipper. He jumps way high in the air. We get old school where he twists the arm and walks the top rope. And then a tombstone finishes it off. You know, I should compare side-by-side the two Larry Ludden versus Undertaker matches and see what kind of difference I can figure out. I'm wondering what the deal with Larry Ludden is because the other taping was in Corpus Christi. Interesting, Corpus Christi with the Undertaker. Anyway, uh, so I guess this guy traveled a little bit. Maybe he was a Western jobber. I don't know. I posited this theory. Of the Ultimate Warrior from 1991 on the Place to Be podcast. I didn't really elaborate too long because, you know, it's not my show. But looking at how the Warrior is booked in 1991, he's humanized a great deal, which is something that I always wanted for him. But really, I think that it's kind of a stingification of the Ultimate Warrior. Now, I'm thinking... Maybe I'm just, you know, lumping Sting and the Warrior together because of their shared history coming into the business. But my thought is that that is how Sting would have been booked if he was in the WWF. Now, Warrior goes over him in a lot of these matches, but the Undertaker is protected well. They're doing body bag matches, which they can set up from the fact that Undertaker's bit around this time is to bring out a body bag and just put the guy in it, zip it up. Like, kind of, kind of, I don't know. I, when I look at the body bags, I don't know if that's something like caskets where you need something special to get one of those. It kind of, it kind of has that feel. Like, you can't go down to the, you know, to the, your local store, your local general store. And, yeah, I got to pick up five body bags because I think that they kind of look at you askew. Same thing for 
coffins, I would imagine. It's like like in the Goonies when the Fratellis have a body bag there. It's like, and the, the kids are like, oh, no, it's restaurant trash. Like, th- these dumbasses think that the, you'd store restaurant trash in this, like, long vertical thing. Anyway, I don't know why I'm making fun of the Goonies kids. They didn't do anything to me other than provide me with 35 years of entertainment. Come on! You defeat your opponent, put him in a body bag, and then beat him up some more? What kind of a man is this? Let's go back to the replay. Okay, here we go right now. This is what he does real well. Flying clothesline. This Undertaker can wrestle, and that's what makes him real dangerous right there. And there's a close-up of the tombstone. Guaranteed that the Undertaker is not only creative with the way he hurts people, but look what he does right here. This seals it up right here as far as I'm concerned. That Vince McMahon voice is just so funny. It's like he reserves it for funerals and wakes only. It's like when Jerry on Seinfeld decides to be dark and disturbed because <laughs> to, to prove something to the woman that he was going out with. I, I don't quite understand that. I don't remember the context of the episode. So we go to the event center with Sean Mooney. And because this is a New York broadcast, you, we could get anywhere from this. We could get MSG, Nassau Coliseum, or the Meadowlands. But in this case, we get the May 10th show coming up at the Nassau Coliseum where they'll have an 18-man battle royal for an intercontinental title shot. And they're promoting Andre the Giant as being in it. Now, best uh, history of WWE.com says that he was in it. I, I have my doubts. I don't think he actually wrestled in, in the U.S. I don't think WWE would let him near a ring in that situation. Especially considering I don't think he was going to win that, so you'd have to go out over the top. Andre, of course, did wrestle one time on the European tour, which I think I alluded to earlier. I should probably write this stuff down so I can keep track of what I'm saying as I tape the show over. I mean, can you tell that I'm taping this at a slightly different time than I was doing earlier? Not, Not to break the kayfabe of this sacred wrestling podcast that you're listening to. Anyway, here's 1991's most relatable human being, the Ultimate Warrior. There will always be those that walk and say they shall not experience fear. But the vision, to think of being buried alive, one must definitely register fear. For to lay in a closed casket with breath still in your lungs, with blood still flowing through your veins, there will be fear. You will experience something you will never forget as I lay physically in that casket. But stand on the outside spiritually, reaching out, reaching through people that are right before me. I lay inside wondering if the warriors that speak to me, do they want in? Do they want out? Do they want to go to the place I am headed? I think, Undertaker, they want to travel as far as I shall go. With you, Undertaker, I shall travel into the darkness. Excluding the weird snort there at the end, I have to confess that I really like the Ultimate Warrior's promos during this time as part of this feud because he comes across as relatable to me personally in a way that I just wasn't picking up on when he was the champion. Of course, part of the problem then that, you know, had nothing to do with his promos is he didn't really have any good heels to work with. He gets put with Rick Rude again, which is all well and good, except we had just seen that the year before and Warrior had, you know, finished him off once and for all. In trying to make an artistic statement, 
One should be careful not to let one's personal aroma do the talking. In order not to offend the critics, I recommend Right Guard Sports Stick. It provides maximum protection and the freshest scents, a sublime palette of odoriferous emanations. After all, a true artiste should be remembered for his inspiration, not his perspiration. Right Guard Sports Stick. Anything less would be uncivilized. Those Hogan right guard ads kind of represent the end of an era in certain ways because him lying on about steroid use on the Arsenio Hall show, which I covered in a special about a year ago, wrestlers on Arsenio. I, I swear I'm going to get to volume two at some point. But yeah, this is kind of the end of golden era Hogan. As you get there, he's having good matches with Sergeant Slaughter, doing the Desert Storm matches thing, which June of 91... MSG show. I think that's on the WWE Network. In fact, I'm probably going to go check that out at some point because that is one of the very best Hogan matches that, well, quite frankly, you ever had. We also get commercials for Trident, Tums, EX, because I was going to say it's the 80s, but it's actually not the 80s. I mean, it's 80s adjacent. It's close enough. Dynatrim weight loss shakes, which I feel like, like they're going in the market against the Slim Fast Shakes. And Game Gear, which was the color portable gaming system that did okay, but did, was not going to catch up to the Game Boy in terms of market share. It's Jim the Hacksaw Duggan and his mighty two by four versus me. I am the genius with intelligence galore. I'll use my convoluted wit and take him by surprise. And then I steal his two by four and straighten out his eyes. Oh my goodness. (laughs) 120 years ago, then New York Governor Theodore Roosevelt said, I have always been fond of the West African proverb, speak softly and carry a big stick, you will go far. And then when he became vice president the next year in September, he addressed the Minnesota State Fair and said, a good many of you are probably acquainted with the old proverb, speak softly and carry a big stick, you will go far. And then he became president uh, about a week and a half later when McKinley got shot. But anyway, what does this have to do with professional wrestling? Well, here we got a matchup of two guys with big sticks. The genius in Dax on Jim Duggan. <laughs> now, I know what you're thinking. The genius in 1991, I didn't even know he was still wrestling at this point. Well, it's a little different because he wore trunks back in the day, but apparently it was not sufficient enough to hide his thunder. So he's wearing a singlet with a single strap over his one of his shoulders. Now, sometimes you need a reminder of what year it is. And yes, for certain, it is 1991. We are a long way from the year 1987. However, in spite of all that, with Hacksaw Jim Duggan in the ring, we are still going to get an inset promo from Colonel Mustafa, the former Iron Sheik, because why the hell not? Those dudes are forever linked. Hacksaw Duggan, you have to go through to the Colonel Mustafa before you get Salder a slaughter, but I don't think that's gonna happen. Baby, his just is he just gets worse as the years go on. Former World Wrestling Federation champion, you will recall, but now calling himself Colonel Mustafa. Well, they're not calling him the Iron Sheik, they're actually acknowledging that he has a past without exactly naming him, which is good because I don't want to be treated like a freaking moron. I've talked about this when it comes to the 92 Royal Rumble when they changed the footage of, oh, now the crowd all of a sudden isn't cheering for Sid. They're cheering for Hogan. 
But here, I'm, I'm glad that they kind of acknowledge, okay, this is the Iron Sheik. You're, we're not going to treat you like complete idiots. As Duggan hits the spinning body slam on Lanny Poffo, the genius, as he is wont to do. Three-point stance, clothesline, finishes up. I mean, r- really, another Hacksaw-Jim Duggan match? I mean, it's the genius in 1991. I, I was kind of hoping that... The Macho Man Randy Savage would have some sort of, you know, inside thing on commentary, considering that's his brother in the ring. But no, not really. Who knows? Maybe Savage, he, he just wasn't used to the commentary game yet. What's the absolutely hottest ticket in town? Hot ticket! Latest and pay-per-view sports entertainment excitement! And premiering this May on Hot Ticket, WrestleMania's history and heroes! From highlights of the very first WrestleMania, high stepping in the Madison Square Garden in 1985, the highlights of this year's WrestleMania 7 in Los Angeles, a one-of-a-kind pay-per-view showcase event coming this May. Go order, race to your phone, and call your local cable company for WrestleMania's history and heroes. Here's a good question that I've never seen anybody bring up. Why are those hot ticket pay-per-views like the WrestleMania History and Heroes, Hulk Hogan, A Real American Story, why aren't those on the WWE Network? How come I haven't heard any complaints about that? I I would love to watch those. Now, I know that Keithy, being the mensch that he is, he provided me with a VHS tape of the WrestleMania History and Heroes, for which I I think I dubbed part of it, and then, then I came into, you know, possession of a better digital copy so it was it was all kind of pointless maybe we'll do one of those for gfa live at some point when we finish our history of the ww or best of the wwf series from coliseum video as we now go to sean mooney in the event center and because like i said it's new york city we switch it up now to madison square garden for the june 3rd show this is the one with the hogan and sergeant slaughter desert storm match that i talked about that i that i loved so much as mooney t- tells us about the newcomer the dragon taking on demolition smash and it's like all right i just freaking praised you guys for not making us look like idiots by claiming that colonel mustafa is some guy and then you pretend that ricky steamboat is some new guy just because he breathes fire all of a sudden i don't get it so in in that main event you got hulk hogan and uh, <laughs> i gotta say you know, for all I said about the, I like the Warriors promos in the Sergeant Slaughter feud, I mean, in the Undertaker feud, this Sergeant Slaughter feud with Hogan, where he's kind of using a lot of military stuff, I think I think it suits him well. It's a little bit less annoying than some of the other Hogan fare. You know something, Sergeant Slaughter? This is going to be the war to end all wars, brother. I can't believe that the WWF, Jack Tunney, would even sanction this thing. But the only thing I can think of is they must want you out of here just as bad as me and all my little holsters do. Desert Storm match. Your rule, Sergeant Slaughter. What am I going to have to worry about, brother? A booby trap in the center of the ring, man? Maybe some lip balm or some chemical gases in my eyes? Maybe I'll come in there with one of those big tanks and just try to blow my head off. Well, that's nothing, brother, compared to what you did to my little holsters. When you burnt my face, a million little Hulkamaniacs shed a tear. You scarred their hearts, brother, because I swore that the banner, the red and the yellow, or whatever this stood for, would never be scorched again. Well, Sergeant Slaughter, be ready for some desert storm sand in your eyes, brother. Be ready to build a bunker, brother, because I may bring enough in just to bury you with, man, and put that nasty flag over the top of the hill. 
Your rules, Slaughter. Anything goes. You better wear the helmet. You better put the gas mask on, brother, because I just might have a little surprise for you. Maybe even a fireproof suit, Sarge. I might even go crazy and torture you in the center of the ring. Hulkamania is going to survive this, brother. Immortality, the spirit, the training, the prayers, the vitamin is going to live forever. We're not going to let you stop us. So what you going to do? For a few moments listening to that, I was taken aback when Hogan threatened to set fire to his opponent, Sergeant Slaughter, if that's what it took to defeat him. Because I then remembered, having seen that match before, and I have the GIF file on my phone, and hopefully I can dig it out because I downloaded it a long time ago, Hogan actually does throw fire successfully at Sergeant Slaughter in kind of a neat callback spot where Slaughter has his boot off. Kind of bringing back memories of 10 years earlier in MSG with Pat Patterson beating Sergeant Slaughter with the boot and that the, the alley fight ending in that fashion. And, yeah, Hogan successfully using fire, which, of course, would come back uh, Halloween Havoc 98 against the Ultimate Warrior. Didn't quite work out so well in that one. But it's funny, Hogan and Slaughter, you know, all the attention is on the whole Iraq thing. But to me, it's funny when you take the beginning and end of the golden era of the WWF, if, if you want to extend it to the point where Hogan comes in, 1984, that year, the top two baby faces in the WWF, Hulk Hogan number one, Sergeant Slaughter number two. And here in 1991, as we are nearing the end of Hogan's run, those two guys are now rivals. You know, I just love this new Diet Pepsi song, but do you think it's caught on yet? I've never been a Pepsi guy in my entire life, except for a very brief period between my freshman and sophomore year of high school where Shaq was doing the commercials for it and they just released like one liter bottles of it with like a wider mouth. I was like, okay, well, this is a much more efficient cola delivery system. Back in those days when I was 15, I could just drink as much of that stuff as I want. Other ads during that break, Stridex, I know, shocking, an acne medication on a wrestling program. Milk, because it does a body good, but it's really just a dude who's doing it to stand up to bully, so he's not doing it to get some poon. The movie Oscar, Sylvester Stallone dips his toe into the comedy water. Not not entirely sure that was the best thing. I want to see Stallone in, like, other, you know, I want to see him in Rocky or The Specialist. I don't know if I necessarily want to see him doing comedies. And then Jumpin' Jack Flash, which apparently was going to air on Fox 5. So let's just go to the next match, which is Mr. Perfect, our reigning, defending Intercontinental Champion, taking on Randy Taylor. Isn't that the name of the kid from Home Improvement? Now that I think... (laughs) I know Home Improvement wasn't on the air yet, but I didn't even write that down. I thought Randy... He was the youngest kid on Home Improvement. And I think the actor, like, divorced his parents. There was some sort of weird stuff going on with that. Anyway, big day for Mr. Perfect between this match and winning the Battle Royal on Saturday night's main event. Where, I mean, he, Mr. Perfect is a great guy to have in those kind of Battle Royals because he can sell for everybody. But he's also athletic enough to pull off those near elimination spots. Now, Piper 
He he leaves the broadcast booth to go prep for the funeral parlor on which he'll be appearing shortly. And this Randy Taylor guy, he looks even more pathetic. I th- I wish that they had had like Jonathan Taylor Thomas or Zachary Ty Bryan or even Randy Taylor from the show. The actor I can't remember his name, and it re- it really doesn't matter. It's perfect. Is facing the British Bulldog on house shows. You know how I know that? Well, they said so. But also because at that Boston Garden house show that I went to in April of 91, that was one of the matches. And sure enough, we get an inset promo from the British Bulldog. And oh my God, I'm doing that uh, Captain Picard palm face thing. And uh, Davey, how do you like your chances as far as winning? Whoa, whoa. Why don't you ask that question to Winston? Uh, Okay. Uh, Winston, how do you like uh, Baby Boy's chances of winning the, the Intercontinental? Winston says, I've got a perfect chance of winning the Intercontinental Championship. I always hated when he would use the dog in that spot in promos. It's like, yeah, we all remember when Matilda was the best promo in the British Bulldogs, but really, I mean, you did this at WrestleMania 7, now you're doing it in the inset promo. I mean, we're not going to see Winston for that much longer, although to be fair, he would eventually win the Intercontinental title. Of course, he probably didn't remember it because he was on so much drugs at the time. Perfect Plex finishes. I mean, perfect gun in his usual standard fare of offense, but it's a shame that his health just did not last very long because in the aftermath of WrestleMania 7, it kind of got, I kind of got the feeling that Perfect was picking up steam again and it just got cut off. Mr. Perfect may think he has a perfect physique, but take a look at this physique as we take you down to the World Bodybuilding Federation Superstar Barry Demand. Perfection, that's what it's all about. And in bodybuilding, these are the perfect calves. And that's what it takes to win the first WBF championship in the Trump Taj Mahal, June the 15th, Atlantic City. Check it out for yourself. And there's a look at another World Bodybuilding Federation superstar on his way to the Taj Mahal as well to compete. There's Eddie Robinson on the cover of Bodybuilding Lifestyle. It's available this Tuesday. I'm very amused by the funeral parlor music playing over a WBF read that Vince is doing. It's like, maybe you should have taken that as a sign, Vinny. How, how about that? But anyway, we get a Rowdy Roddy Piper in the funeral parlor. Because he's Virgil's tur- turbo booster. Because old Virge needed a little help. He needed a little something extra to make this DiBiase feud something special. So Piper, being the team player that he is, you know, Puts himself into the lineup and, and kind of helps this thing along. Now, Paul Bearer introduces him as Ro- Roddy Roddy Piper, which, you know, is is not his name. I mean, it's he, uh, I'm, I hear sometimes R- Roddy Rowdy Piper, but no, no, not, not Roddy Roddy Piper. <laughs> A little sunshine would be in order, friend. <laughs> Wait a second. Does this ring a bell? See, you're limping a little bit. I heard Ted 
DiBiase say you're the Bo Jackson of the world wrestling generation? All right, to give that a little bit of context, Bo Jackson's hip injury in January of 91 in the divisional round against Cincinnati, and it was near the end of the game when it happened. It looked so innocuous. A tackle by linebacker Kevin Walker, University of Maryland, Cincinnati Bengal, I mean, it looked like – I remember the talk being Raiders are going to the AFC Championship game in Buffalo the next week. Oh, yeah, Bo's going to play, and then as Bo's questionable, and then all of a sudden, well, this is more serious than we think. And then it's it's to the point where Bo Jackson literally never plays football again after that. He gets non uh, – the Royals release him because he was of no use to them. He eventually makes the comeback late that season with the Chicago White Sox. I don't know if I've ever thought of Roddy Piper in those terms, but he he was the most prominent injured athlete of the time. By the way, the Cincinnati Bengals have not won a playoff game in the near 30 years since then, which is kind of remarkable. I don't know if that's the longest streak in North American sports. I I believe it is. I mean, I I can't imagine that there is any other team in the in the major four sports that hasn't even won a playoff game. But we get a very Roddy Piper retort to all of this. Well, you repeat what you hear very well. You see, with a guy like Ted DiBiase, you got to figure, when Ted DiBiase, when you were born, your mommy brought the limo out, and it was time to change your die-dye. So what they did is they took the diaper off, and they put the baby powder on it and patterned you all out. When I was a kid, they put powder on me, too. They would take the diaper off, and then put sandpaper in there. The only way I got to school, baby, is if I walked. Nobody drove me, and it didn't cost me a dime. You see, I'm the kind of guy, Mr. Ted DiBiase, that can take away your woes. The Bo Jackson of wrestling... Nice to be in that good company. You gotta say to yourself, and I think about it, Ted DiBiase, when you got your main squeeze, the bride of Frankenstein, <laughs> only thing she's missing is bolts coming out of her neck, and I said to myself, how do I defend myself against a witch? Well, it's easy. I learned the Patriot defense system. Go ahead, Francis Gomez. I'm going to have to go ahead and ignore Piper's weird pronunciation of patriot. Like, I don't, I've never heard it pronounced that way. But we can see in, in the background, Virgil suddenly appears and he's carrying what I can only describe. It looks like, like something you would grab at a buffet, like one of those heater trays where it's got like the top part and then like the bottom part that you put over, you know, the, the sterno or whatever. So maybe it's meat sauce. I I I, I don't know, but eventually it's going to get opened, isn't it? Are you sure you want me to hit you? You want me to write it down for you, son? Wind up and have a good time. Oh, 
my back. I'm always behind your back, buddy. I'm always in your corner. Once you're my friend, you're always my friend. Especially in a shaky situation like out here, you never know when you need a friend. It was at this point that I was hoping that Roddy Piper and Virgil would bust into an impromptu version of You're a Friend of Mine with Piper playing the role of Jackson Brown and Virgil playing the role of Clarence Big Man Clemens. But as the Rolling Stones said, you can't always get what you want. But apparently I will get what I need and we're going to find out what's in the tray. What do you have in that tray? Hi, my name's Ted, and I'm really ugly, and I noticed you are too. Would you like a date, you witch? This ran longer than most funeral parlors, but I, I found it entertaining. I mean, Piper was, you know, kind of a good li- few good lines in there. And we got to hear the debut of the Virgilina voice that Virgil, when he dressed up in drag on the episode of Primetime Wrestling, which I covered over three years ago now. God, it's hard to believe it's been that long. Yeah, Vir- Virgil comes in and stops Paul Bearer's arm from hitting Roddy Piper. And yes, indeed, you are a friend of mine, as it turns into kind of a puppet show but yeah some bizarre stuff here Uh, piper like i said a real team player for this entire run after he you know he he gets involved in the whole virgil thing elizabeth machado said goodbye acne thank you dr zismore bernice palmer said no more dark spots thanks dr zismore now you can have beautiful clear skin i'm dr zismore and i can help you look your best my office provides great skin care at a fair price. Call me for an appointment at 212-594-SKIN, and you can start on the road to beautiful, clear skin now. Joan Getz said, hello, beautiful, clear skin. Thank, Thank you, Dr. Zismore. Call 212-594-SKIN for an appointment. So I guess this Dr. Zismore guy was lampooned in an SNL skit in more recent years. Not too recent, you know, after I stopped watching, because it was Taryn Killam who was, I guess played the good doctor i guess and i i liked him well enough he was kind of like a very poor man's phil hartman i guess phil hartman of course being the, the greatest snl talent that there ever was there's also commercials for wendy's bacon mushroom melt which seems to come around like every so often without a real pattern although more frequently than the mcrib from mcdonald's which apparently is coming back so i'm told the game boy which every time I hear Game Boy, all I ever think of is 1999 British Bulldog calling 
Triple H, Game Boy. But I wish I had the sound clip for that. And then Duncan's Cups, which is, you know, from Duncan Hines and all that. And Airplane 2, which is airing on Fox 5 on Wednesday night of that week. So let's just go right to our feature match here. Earthquake against Jake the Snake Roberts. Now, we had the confrontation in the aisle three weeks before, which actually was taped before WrestleMania 7. So kind of interesting. We had, you know, a path for Earthquake and Jake before their... I guess Earthquake didn't really have a pro. He had faced Greg Valentine and just beat him in three minutes, whereas Jake was wrapping up things with Rick Martell. Now, as Jake's coming to the ring, the first thing I'm looking for, knowing what's going to happen here, is he's carrying the bag slightly differently. Like, it's more up on his shoulders. Like, uh, like something's a little off there, but may- maybe I'm just projecting knowing what I know. As Earthquake attacks early... And But then he puts his head down. A cardinal mistake for a ring veteran. Jake hits the knee lift. Now he, he just says, screw it. He goes over. He gets the snake. Tosses Damien out of the bag. And I thought, okay. So the bag that he brought to the ring actually did have the snake in it. Hmm. Okay. Good enough. As Earthquake has been scared out of the ring. And he's waiting on the outside. Because you know, he's not going to have a wrestling match with the damn snake in the ring. As Jake scares the second official who has come down with the snake. And eventually that second official makes Jake put the snake back into the bag. He then puts the bag in the corner, as it is for pretty much all of his matches. But they insist now that he put it onto the floor underneath the ring, which is very important, although I don't quite pick up on where there may have been a switcheroo. So he so he's arguing with the officials, puts it under the ring by one of the ring steps. And then outside the ring from behind, Earthquake attacks, tosses Jake in there. Now Earthquake, having seen the bag go under the ring, he grabs the bag as well, which looks like the same one in terms of, you know, it's a little bit bigger and the, the, the coloring appears the same. So Earthquake ties Jake in the ropes which is interesting because this is what Jake Roberts would do to Randy Savage some seven months from now when the Macho Man was bitten by the what would be a King Cobra at that point. I don't know what happened to Lucifer in the meantime. I'm not entirely sure. As Earl Hebner, our referee, I think it's Earl at this point, who, who really cares, gets tackled by Jimmy Hart. And this is the one part that throws me for a loop is... Hebner can't get up because Jimmy Hart is laying on him. One of the lightest people in professional wrestling, this side of Sky Low Low. We're like, oh, I can't get up because this 105-pound guy is, you know, smothered me or whatever. And while with Jake in the ropes, the bag is dragged out to the center of the ring by Earthquake, as he does to his opponents to finish him off. And Earthquake, well, you know what happens next. He just pulled Damien out to the, to the middle of the ring. Why? Earthquake hammering Jake to Snake Roberts on the side of the head. And if we heard correctly, I, I don't. Jimmy Hart still holding the official now. Oh, Earthquake. Man. Earthquake is going to squash this snake. Don't watch 
this, folks. Please don't watch it. Oh, he's going to go. Come on, he's going to Oh, he's got him. Oh. Okay, yeah. And he got off him real quick, too. Don't believe it. Look at Jake. Ooh, how do you like that, Jake? The snake. Uh, things going on here. Certainly hope what the Macho Man just said about Jake doesn't get back to him because, you know, if those guys get into a war, who knows what might happen. Anyway, they cut to Sean Mooney in the event center with his facial reaction. Rather than showing Earthquake squashing the snake, which actually is a hamburger meat on the inside that's apparently what it was they go to sean mooney who makes a facial reaction like oh like like as if somebody farted it it, it is the exact kind of face that you would do if if somebody farted but actually he was not watching the snake get squashed and nobody farted somebody just held up a picture of kevin dunn like right in front of mooney's face and uh that's why he reacted with such disgust and disdain can't believe we just saw that earthquake what a warning last week that he hated snakes he hated jake and he was going to do something about it but no one had any idea he was going to come on he can't that's his pet that's his Although you did not see the senseless and deplorable act just committed by the earthquake, I'm sure you can surmise its outcome. I promise you we will not return to the arena until the walking natural disasters rampage has ceased. Well, apparently we are now going to return to ringside. Mooney's like, we're not going back to ringside unless the rampage is stopped. And then he pauses 2.7 seconds. Like, all right, now I guess we're going to go back to ringside now. Frankly... I prefer the giant red X that they used to put on there back in 82 with Ron Bass on Beefcake with those spurs in 1988. I, I, I like that. But apparently in 91, when we're adding the into the mini attitude era, that red X just isn't going to cut it anymore. So here we continue step one of Jake's heel turn. Jake's heel What a creep this guy is. What a... What a complete creep. I can't believe he would take advantage of something like that. I can't believe it. Jake the Snake off. He's not hurt physically. He's hurt inside. He's hurt deep inside. And nothing is moving in that bag. Nothing. Jake's crying. Well, who wouldn't be? I mean, every every child in America, every anyone who has a pet, Anything that unfortunately an accident or something happens to a pet, you know how it affects you. But this was no accident. He's, I can't be, he's, he's checking on him. He's checking on it now. He's opening up the bag. He's tearing at the bag with his teeth. He, he, he's gone crazy. The quieter Jake the snake gets, the more dangerous he is. He's digging for his pet. He, There's a hush. Over this capacity cup. Oh, God. Uh-oh. Jake can't believe 
Well, he just saw. I guess he had to. See, I guess he had to put himself through that. I guess he had to see it for himself. From breaking down. Come on, somebody get down there and help him. That's the worst thing you could break Jake's neck. His eyes. Yeah, don't mess with his pet. A tragedy here has befallen Jake the Snake Roberts. I don't like to see this. What a terrible spot for that Fritos commercial. Like, all right, we're going to have the upbeat music after the snake gets squashed, like, right before this. Like, I'm pretty sure that somebody from Frito-Lay, you know, watched this and was like, hey, we need we need some make goods here because we don't like the way our ad was placed. Nobody told us about this. You see, that that's why, you know, the ad agency... You need, you need somebody watching it. Like in Mad Men, when Harry Crane, like, had to watch all the television shows to make sure that, you know, stuff, stuff like that wasn't gonna happen for any of the people that he works for. One thing that I was curious about is this takes place in Las Vegas. And I, I had a memory of Nevada having particularly lax animal cruelty laws. Now, of course, this is not real, but what I am saying is I'm putting the kayfabe hat on it. Yes, if it was real, if Earthquake was to squash a snake at that moment of time in 1991 or even in the years following, well, Nevada had notoriously lax. I, I read a 20-page thing on this, like a PDF, and I wondered why I did that because... You know, it's not exactly a pleasant topic to read about, but Nevada is just one of those states that's uh, just notoriously weird about a lot of things. Now, I had, I had talked about Jake be, being step one of his heel turn, and it's because he's gone through something very traumatic here. And he, he watched his enemy killed his pet on TV after he had tied him up. It's dast- the most dastardly thing you can think of. So, of course, Jake becomes a heel a couple of months later, and that makes sense. But Earthquake teams with it was going to team with him at the Survivor Series in 91, which is the one thing that just throws me for a freaking loop because, oh, all of a sudden, the, these guys, I mean, this isn't like Savage and Steamboat, which you could excuse like, all right, well, those dudes might have mutual respect because they had a lot of wars against each other. This guy straight up murdered Damien. I'm like, all right, yeah, we forgive you, John. John Tenta, you're such a sweetheart. It's it, it's it's very strange the the way that they play that. And Earthquake becomes a face not long after because, as I've always said, John Tenta, who by the way is 28, no, he's 27 years old at the time of this. He's just a cuddly teddy bear, you know. You can't help but root for the guy who ruthlessly killed his <laughs> rival's pet in the ring. But like I said, it, it was not actually the snake. It was it was the hamburger thing. And I was hoping that I would catch them in the switcheroo. But I gotta give the World Wrestling Federation credit. They 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 pulled it off without it being patently obvious that you know they had a second bag under the ring. But this is certainly something that a lot of people remember. Did it go too far? Probably it did. But let's think about it here. Every single time Jake would have an opponent, especially a bigger opponent, he would bring out the snake. And oftentimes it would come back and, and burn him. I talked to Honky Tonk Man. Like, yeah, he, he scared him and yeah, that was great. But then Honky like blasts him over the head with the guitar and causes all those problems down the road. 
He, he pulled the same shenanigans here with Earthquake, with Andre, as I was talking about earlier. And not to mention, 1992, he goes into WCW and he gets literally bitten by his own snake. It was Halloween Havoc, 92, which I think I've mentioned now in three straight podcasts. I, I really should knock that off. But, wow, I mean... You know, talk about, like, kicking off, I, I, this is not the kickoff to the mini Attitude Era, but it's certainly, you know, a string of things that has happened between the slaughter rack thing, the burning Hulk Hogan shirt as the, you know, sort of symbolic of the flag, and then you got Warrior in a casket for three minutes and 46 seconds. You got this thing, and then more down the line, that's not without mentioning Andre and Sherry and all that went on a little bit earlier. Hey, New York, Jersey. I hate standing in line at the supermarket, don't you? Forget about it. You don't have to wait in line in my store. Whatever you need, we got it. We got bread, we got milk, we got eggs. You say soft drinks? Six packs, 12 packs. Warm or cold, it's the same price. You want coffee? You want deli? No one is going to take better care of you than me. We got great prices every day. We've even got lotto. Super big up. So Jersey and New York, why would you go anyplace else, huh? Get a two liter of Pepsi for just 99 cents. I can't remember the last time I saw an ad for 7-Eleven. It feels like one of those places that doesn't necessarily have to advertise because everybody is sort of just aware of it. This is the same ad break as the Fritos thing. So they're probably glad not to be placed up top. I don't know about that thing. It's like beer cold and beer warm at the same price. Like I didn't realize, I didn't realize, has there ever been a place that did it differently? I mean, isn't it all based off the barcode? I don't get it. There's also an ad for, 7-Up and Fisher-Price. So now we get the palate cleanser match, which I'm always interested after these big angles. Like, Butch Reed is the next guy on after the Hogan-Andre thing on Piper's Pit back in 87. Covered that back in episode four. And here, sure enough, we get the Rockers to kind of lift their spirits, taking on Bill Lucas and Barry O, who I could have swore was gone at this point, but... The Rockers are called, once again, the tag team of the 90s by Piper. Of course, they'd be gone by the time the calendar hits 1992. So, great. you got to be careful with your predictions out there. It's like when Ron Paulus was going to be the next great Notre Dame quarterback, and then nobody remembers who Ron Paulus is except for me because I actually heard his name fairly early on because I thought he was committing to Notre Dame early. Or Nail Yakupov, number one overall pick in the 2012 NHL draft. And he's been out of the NHL now for several years. I know it's Anthony Bennett, the first overall pick, 2013 NBA draft. I don't even think he's been in the league for quite some time. Anyway, to bring it back to the guys in this match, Barry O actually was wrapping up his time in the World Wrestling Federation on this day and on the next day's Wrestling Challenge taping in Reno, Nevada. On this taping, it's, it's very interesting because he faces... Bret Hart, which I covered on the April 13th Superstars, episode 12 of Greece Valentine, the Rockers in this match, and Greg Valentine for an addition, a match that aired on Primetime Wrestling. All four of those guys held or would hold the Intercontinental title at one time. Bret, Marty, Sean, and Valentine. But this right here is his final TV appearance. So, let us all pull one out for Barry O because he will become a, well, kind of a notable figure in the 
WWF sex scandals that would emerge over the next year. Now, I had mentioned a couple of times now the Rockers being involved with Andre the Giant. And sure enough, on the European tour, on the day before this aired, on April 26th, Andre the Giant gets into the ring in Northern Ireland, in Belfast. Him and the Rockers team up to face the Orient Express and Mr. Fuji. Now, I'm sure that Andre was probably just on the apron for most of it. It was all for show. But it's interesting that that's the last match of him on record, assuming that he wasn't in that Nassau Coliseum Battle Royal, which I'm sure that I would have heard about. He had to have been substituted out for that one. So here's the Rockers, 1991, their last year as a tag team. Now, in the middle of the year, Shawn Michaels gets hurt. Oh, boo-hoo. Oh, breaks my head. By the way, really hurt, too. Not like one of his phony baloney injuries that you get early, get at a later time. Jim Powers fills in for him on a lot of these shows. It's like, hmm, okay. Jim Powers and Marty Jannetty, those are two reliable fellas. And th- there's one match in Lowell, Massachusetts, at the Lowell Memorial Auditorium, the place where Shawn Michaels lost his smile some five and a half years later, that <laughs> this I wish I had gone to this show just for this match. Marty Jannetty and Jim Powers defeated Colonel Mustafa and Pat Tanaka. What a team that is. Iron Sheik and Pat Tanaka. Just, just some good stuff. We kick it off with Barry O and Sean, and I immediately think to myself, was there ever a feud with Randy Orton and Shawn Michaels? Now, before you start yelling at me through your pod device there, yeah, I I was kind of in the dark for much of the 2000s. So, yeah, okay, so those guys had matches in 04, uh, 07, Judgment Day, pay-per-view. I I know it's a lot of them. There's a lot of it that I missed. And quite frankly, I really don't care to catch up. I'd rather just watch the 88 Survivor Series or something else for the 100th time from the era in which I am comfortable in. The Rockers are still in their never-ending feud with the Orient Express that goes all the way back to WrestleMania six when freaking Sato was there. But it gets better because, you know, Kato in place of Sato means you got Paul Diamond, so you got Bad Company, Bad Company Rockers. It's an AWA hootenanny. But what I like... Is on the inset promo here. And when I'm like, okay, an Orient Express inset promo, whatever. Fuji's going to say pain and suffering like 20 times. No, no, no. Instead, we get a nice little twist because it is Pat Tanaka promo time, baby. Rockers, you claim to be the tag team sponsors of the 90s. Or will you bring all your little teeny boppers around? Because when we beat you and they're crying, you will supply the towels to dry their tears. <laughs> I don't even think these Fuji-managed teams, Fuji necessarily has to talk because Pat Tanaka, he could certainly get by with the personality that he has. I mean, why the hell Why the hell not? I mean, Fuji just says the same thing over and over again. So, you know, I like Pat Tanaka for a lot of reasons, but also there was a guy on the Orioles this season who was a big surprise named Pat Valeka, and every time I had seen the name Pat Valeka, I, I wanted to say Pat Tanaka. Anyway, rocker dropper by Marty that he doesn't botch, so we're not going to get any lawsuits from the jobber because he broke his neck on it. And that sets up for what the rocker finisher is at this time because it, it varied, and it's the double fist drop as both guys come off the top rope with it. The 15th has come and gone. And you've missed the filing deadline. Congratulations. You've joined the long list of tax evaders, cheats, and small-time hoodlums who just don't know what it means to be honest. 
Well, you ought to be ashamed. And don't give me any excuses. This is the beginning of IRS, so we're still going to get four more years of his bullshit promos that are basically just word salad, all rearranged, the exact same thing, quite frankly. And the fact of the matter is, according to the November 2nd, 1991 New York Times article, your taxes, IRS audit rate, continues to drop. Although the IRS gets huge amounts of information on interest, dividends, and income from banks, brokers, and others, chance of a taxpayer being subjected to an audit continues to shrink. The service managed to scrutinize only 80 individual returns in every 10,000 last year, down from 92 in 1989. It was the fifth straight year that it had fallen. And I know it's even less than that now because I know staffing levels at the IRS are very, very low. Probably because nobody wants to work there because they don't want to be associated with this freaking Nick and Poop and his horrible, horrible character. So we go to the event center. Now we're back promoting the Nassau Coliseum show on May the 10th, and the battle royal for the Intercontinental title shot against Mr. Perfect would actually be won by this man, Kerry Von Erich, the Texas Tornado. And oh boy, a Texas Tornado promo in the WWF. Ain't no Fritz there to save him. Right now I'm in the best shape of my life. And for what reason? Because of this battle royal. The winner of this battle royal takes on Mr. Perfect for the World Wrestling Federation Intercontinental title. When I came to the WWF, I said I would take it, and I took it. Well, now I'm saying I'm ready. And there's no such thing as luck as when preparation meets the opportunity, and the opportunity will be in the Battle Royal. You go through me, and then I'll go through you, Mr. Perfect, and I'll take you down. All right, that wasn't completely terrible, but it does pale in comparison to what we're going to get next, which is the Intercontinental Champion, Mr. Perfect, in the final days with Bobby the Brain Heenan. And once again, like I always say, why these guys weren't paired with each other from day one, I have no freaking idea. Because the Heenan family could have used him back in 88. You know, Bobby, how many people do you know that in one night could wrestle and defeat 18 men? <laughs> That's right. Point your finger at me just like everybody else has to. 18 men in a battle royal, and the winner of the battle royal gets to face Mr. Perfect. For the Intercontinental Champion belt. Well, I'll tell you what. Long Island, Nassau, you people are going to witness someone beat 18 men because I'm going to destroy whoever survives the Battle Royal. Even you, Bulldog. It's interesting he mentions the British Bulldog who was in the Battle Royal, but unlike the one at the Royal Albert Hall, he didn't win this one. And Kerry prevails is 17-man Battle Royal is what it's listed as. So not 18. I'm, I'm assuming that Andre is, of course, the minus one there. Here, here, here are the results from that Nassau Coliseum show on May 10th. It drew 14,000, which, having been in the Nassau Coliseum, even as recently as February the 29th, I know that it is very uncomfortable, like long lines for the bathroom in that place. And in 1991, I can only imagine that it was worse. Kerry Von Erich won a 17-man battle royal by last eliminating the Warlord to earn an Intercontinental title shot later in the card. And uh, in other matches, Hacksaw Jim Duggan pinned Kato. The British Bulldog pinned the Barbarian. Hercules over Coco Beware. Hercules picking up a win in 1991. Hmm. Bret Hart pinned Paul Roma. Intercontinental Champion Mr. Perfect defeated Kerry Von Erich. Texas Tornado via Countout. And in the main event... The Ultimate Warrior defeated The Undertaker via disqualification after The Undertaker used the urn as a weapon. 
the dirtiest divorce in memory, allegations of rough sex and alcoholism. If this woman's so ripping her hair out because she's getting no sex from her husband, why would she wait two years to complain about it? The Dress Designer Divorce. Watch A Current Affair Monday at 7.30 on Fox 5 New York. I looked up Dress Designer Divorce 1991. I couldn't find anything specific as to what that was, but all I could think of is the British royal family being like, hold my beer. You want to talk about messy divorces? A current affair, it kind of, it's funny how it like sort of paralleled WWF superstars because it came on the air in 1986 and then went off the air in 1996. It came back for a very brief period in 05, but really kind of irrelevant at that point but yeah it aired on the fox stations mainly so like a fox 5 here in new york for the first couple of years it was kind of exclusive to the fox owned and operated and then it went into national syndication but you gotta love that little sound effect which i gotta pull for this show at one time i thought about making that my text message alert thing on my phone but then i was afraid that i was going to get sick of that noise and i never want to get sick of the current affair noise it's also a commercial for one of those time life dealies for great composers but i lost interest once jimmy hart was not one of those composers and then another one for a, a drug rehab facility promotional consideration uh, I, I can't do a lord al I'm, I'm just too damn tired but we do get some Double Dragon from Lord Al, but it's not the good Double Dragon, but by this point it's Double Dragon 3. Double Dragon 3, the greatest martial arts adventure, continues with all new weapons, characters, and street fighting moves. Double Dragon 3 from Acclaim, twice the characters, three times the action. I have a question as it pertains to Lord Alfred Hayes and the promotional consideration. I'm pretty sure he knew what Jolly Ranchers were. And, you know, the Hasbro figures, even though that there wasn't a Hasbro figure for Lord Alfred Hayes, although that would be pretty freaking awesome, and the Hulk Hogan vitamins. Did Lord Al know what Double Dragon was? I, I, I think he was just reading a piece of paper. Like, I don't think Lord Alfred Hayes really knew anything about video games. I'd love to be proven wrong on this. So as for next week, we do have a feature match because, well, we had a feature match this week, kind of, sort of. But as you get into the month of May, it sweeps. And with sweeps, you're going to put out more stuff like, and I alluded to this on the Place to Be podcast the other day, the Nasty Boys defending the WWF tag team titles against the Rockers. And what's interesting, the Rockers don't get a little promo at the end, but the Nasty Boys do. Boys, right here next week, we need the nasty sounds, the Rockers, baby. <laughs> hey, Rockers, you had your little tuna match. Next week, it's for real, and it's nasty. Hey, tag team specialists, that long hair and them pretty faces ain't getting you nowhere, and they're definitely not getting you the belts. So get ready for the nastiest time of your life. <laughs> I kind of made the point on the Place to Be podcast that I wish that the Nasty Boys had defended against a better team on the Saturday Night's main event than the Bushwhackers, but the point was made that the Bushwhackers are kind of an ideal team for Saturday Night's main event, and also a team you can you can beat easily and it just doesn't matter but what i mean by ideal for saturday night's main event not to say that the rockers are no good or anything but you can beat them and you know you're just going to do a quick five six minute thing whereas the rockers actually ironically enough the <laughs> superstars match ran less than the bushwhackers match only 436 rockers win by dq so you weren't going to do the rock, you know, the challengers winning by DQ on the Saturday night's main event. Cause generally the way they do things is when you do that first title defense, they're going to go over in that match. 
Vince also alludes to the Saturday Night's main event without using that name that Hogan would be part of the Battle Royal and that the ultimate warrior would be taking on Sergeant Slaughter. So it's interesting. I'm assuming that they knew that the NBC thing, that the jig was up at that point, and that was going to be all, and they would eventually make their way over to Fox. What kind of surprises me in retrospect is that Fox, they're looking for programming because, like I mentioned, they don't have primetime programming every single night of the week. And it surprises me that, Maybe they didn't reach out sooner and get one on, you know, before the Survivor Series or even before SummerSlam. Who knows? Maybe it was rumored. I I don't know. But I guess some of the scandals that were going on at the time may have ended up quashing that. Although I think a lot of those came in a bit later. So that'll do it for WWF Superstars. And that was the last time they did the Stars and Stripes intro. They debuted a new theme song the following week. WWF Superstars for April 27th, 1991. This week on the Our Vantage Point Podcast, episode 199, they look at an AWA episode from August of 1981 that I had my eye on, and I'm glad they took it, because I really didn't want to review it, because I think the only... (laughs) That was in it was like, oh, there's a Hulk Hogan match, and he's kind of sort of a face, but he's still managed by Johnny V. It's kind of an odd deal. But they also asked the question about SummerSlam 92. What if it had taken place in the United States as it was originally planned at the Cap Center in Landover, Maryland? And the answer is, it would have been a moribund show that hardly anybody would have remembered. Instead, you put it in England... And everybody remembers it because of the huge crowd and Wembley and it being outdoors and the British Bulldog girl, as it turns out. I don't know. My, my skepticism on we found the girl, the girl who's like, the British Bulldog's going to win whether he wants to or not. I'm, I'm forever skeptical about that sort of stuff. Like, oh, we found the person ever since that Bobby Heenan Twitter fiasco of 2016 where somebody actually had the gall to go on there and impersonate Heenan, which is one of the most repulsive things that I can possibly think of. Anyway, don't forget to check out the sportscasters with my good pal Steve Bennett and co-host of the Adams Division podcast. We are going to eventually get around to another one of those. Maybe I'll Maybe I'll suggest something about the television show Cobra Kai. Since that is one of our shared interests. And apparently I really, really, really like talking about the Karate Kid series. I mean, even Karate Kid 3, just the absurdity of it all. I mean, I know Keithy and I, we suggested that when Cobra Kai eventually comes to an end, it should be a four-way dance between (laughs) Johnny Lawrence, Daniel LaRusso, Mike Barnes from Karate Kid 3, and Chosen from Karate Kid 2. And we could have a McMahon in every corner. Oh, no, wait. That's, that sucked the last time at WrestleMania 2000 when they did that. So do check that out. The Sportscasters hosted by Steve Bennett with an extensive back catalog. I don't have a show planned for next week. I'm not going to throw on a best of in all likelihood. However, you know, we'll, we'll see. We'll see where it goes with what's on YouTube. I may look to do another Survivor Series time of year one like a November show, so I can do those promos, because I, I, I like those very, very much. Of course, I should have done like a Halloween Havoc for WCW when, you know, leading up to Halloween, but I'll be honest, I didn't think of it, and they didn't play it up. They didn't have the same kind of fun with it the way the WWF did 
with all the all the various team promos. 1991 being like the most absurd ones that they had. I mean, I'd love to find the one any promo with the Colonel Mustafa, Big Bully Busick, and and that whole team Skinner. Yeah, I, I, I'd love to dig one of those out. I certainly have time for one last thing before I depart for this week, and that's another exciting edition of YouTube Comment Theater. Now, I know I said I used a version of this that wasn't on YouTube, but there are two different versions of this show, one of which has decent audio quality but has, like, no comments. The other one has 18 comments, and some of them I can use. And as always, these are actual YouTube comments left by what I can only presume are actual users. Christopher Haas says, Judging by the reception, four wrestling fans, that would be the uploader, lived in Reno at the time, LOL. Thanks for the post. Loving the irony of watching this on my new $1,500 Genius TV. Yeah, the video quality on that upload is some of the worst I've ever seen. Like, it, it, I'm comparing it unfavorably with, like, Memphis 78 stuff. So the, the, if that gives you any idea how bad this is. Daniel Santana says, Thanks for including these commercials. My advice, never ever get rid of this videotape. Yes, I'm always appreciative of the commercials. Of course, on that one, it would have been different from the New York ones that I read. Christopher Haas once again weighs in, don't remember anything about Sherry rejections. I would have let her do anything she wanted for me back then. Oh yeah. God, I hope the guy Sherry chose to drink, Andre chose to drink with instead of Sherry was Pat Patterson. Say it ain't so. Yeah, Patterson hanging out in the background, but he was really drinking with Arnold Skull and Patterson was just there for, you know, wall decoration or whatever. Troublesome West Side Outlaw says, Pez was doing hard time. Pat Patterson coming out of retirement to face the big boss man or the Mountie. I don't know exactly what that's all about, but uh, just because Gorilla Monsoon makes Pat Patterson jokes doesn't mean that you get licensed to make the same jokes, buddy, okay? Nate Linehan says, poor Shasta Watley. No, it's Shaska Watley. It's not Shasta Watley. He, he's not a soft drink that you can buy in the supermarket. And, and then the first person replying actually corrected him. And D. Gravorama says, and I can't believe this, was that S.D. Jones? Why did he get handcuffed to the ropes after the match? All he did was wrestle a completely clean match and put trailer over. And yeah, that's what Watley did, but who's gotten Pez Watley confused with S.D. Jones? Come on. Let's open your freaking eyes. I mean, it's not like he wasn't announced either. He's like, Pez Watley, for God's sake. Say, Listen to what's going on. And that'll do it for YouTube comments. Yeah. I don't know how many times I've done this segment, but I think this is the first time that I've done it where I actually ended properly so that at, right at the end of the song I didn't have to loop it again. But I didn't have a clock in my head or anything like that. But anyway, just, just some inside baseball, how I make the magic happen on this particular program. And if you enjoyed the quote-unquote magic that I have put out on display on both this show and on GFA Live... Please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, whatever the hell it's called, or wherever fine podcast reviews are accepted because it provides what is known as social proof that apparently I so desperately need for, for my ego. One great thing about this program is that this week in the United States, I have gone through this entire thing without talking about the elephant. I would say the elephant in the room, but the elephant is 
<laughs> a symbol of one of the two parties. I don't want to be a jackass. Oh no, shoot, that's the other party. I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to, talk, I don't want to talk about the election. This should be a free, uh, an election-free zone here because people want to get away from this stuff every so often. And I'm glad I was able to help you for the last one hour and forty-three minutes and five seconds right now. I don't know, I'll see when I produce this if uh, if I'm on the money on that. But thank you so much for listening, and tune in next time for another exciting episode of Greg's from Allentown. Bobby, I'm your white knight. <laughs>